The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Rogers News. This week, we are honing in on one big topic, the Chinese property crisis. Welcome back to The Views Room, the podcast from Reuters Breaking Views, where columnists from around the world talk about the big stories of the week. I'm your host, Amy Donlan, coming to you from London. China's property market is looking creaky. The government's bid to deleverage the sector and make it less speculative has destabilized property companies, with construction grinding to a halt. Breaking Views columnists Yao Chen and Pete Sweeney in Hong Kong are here to offer a detailed explainer on how the world's second largest economy got into such a mess, the implications for the Chinese citizens that are refusing to pay mortgages on unbuilt homes, and what this means for Xi Jinping's government. China is experiencing a kind of property crisis. Here to talk me through it is Yao and Chen and Pete Sweeney, and we're going to go through quite an explainer on this whole situation. Hi, Pete. Hi, Yao. Hi, Amy. Hey, Amy. How are you? Good, good. Thanks so much for chatting to me today. So, Yao, I, I think the best thing to do is maybe if you could tell us just to start off, what is the property situation in China? Like, what is historically the relationship that people have in China with property? So, in the UK, there is this kind of you know this idea that you have to own a property you want to retire and not pay a mortgage i think the us has a very similar kind of attitude what is the sort of chinese attitude towards towards property and and how has it fared as an asset sure i think when we think about the chinese economy the property is really the bulk of it the estimate is that like chinese property is a, is a, probably broadly contribute to one third of gdp and if you look at banks' assets, it's about 27% of all banking loans. And I think more importantly for Chinese ordinary Chinese people, ever since the liberalization of the property market in the late 90s, we haven't really seen any kind of real downturn. There are some mini downturns, you know, like in cycles, in probably cycles of five years, but the Chinese government has always propped up the, the market again. So there's this expectation among the Chinese that you know, property market never crashes in China. So in that case, we we rarely see mortgage defaults. We've seen some kind of protests in the past few years in the broad downturn in, um, as you know, as President Xi Jinping cracks down the sector that, you know, like home buyers sometimes go to the projects to protest that the prices are falling slightly, but you never see them like defaulting in their mortgages in mass. Okay. So it's a really important part of of the economy and certainly very important to the people who buy buy houses and apartments. So how how do you buy a property in in China? Do you I mean, in this country, you go to a bank, you get your mortgage, you buy a house that in many cases is already built. Sometimes they're new builds. What is the situation in China? Are they mainly new builds? Are they sort of existing buildings they're, they're buying? Certainly, the new launches are much more popular than the secondary houses. It's it's mostly because, for one, pre-sale is the dominant selling mechanism in China because, in a way, it really allows the developers to leverage up. They only have to put down, like, one quarter of the investment before they can start selling on the projects. And usually, if you're factoring how much they're paying for the land, that's already one quarter of, of the total investment. And literally, they can just, like, start selling and getting all the license ready from the government. And so in the past, you've seen a lot of 
cases where they mis misuse the funds to to like build new projects so that, that allows them to very quickly expand. So from an ordinary buyer's perspective, pre-sales are very attractive in the sense that it's usually also cheaper than secondary houses, especially in recent years, because the government has tried to rein in prices and putting a price cap on the new launches are, is, is one very effective way to show people on paper that Chinese properties are not rising in prices. So there's usually like a 10, 20% premium or like, yeah, so to, to the secondary houses. And for, and also I think culturally for Chinese people, they like to buy new houses. Like nobody wants to buy a resale house for your wedding, for, you know, your your, your parents, your daughters. So it's like, it, it's just a culturally preferred option as well. So what's unprecedented now is given the importance of real estate as like the primary way that Chinese people have saved for the future this industry that has that has produced some of the country's best known billionaires and not only that has thrown up wealth for the ordinary middle class i mean it's been the one asset that that always made money for ordinary people unlike stocks unlike bonds unlike almost anything else real estate has been this outperformer and now you've got people apparently in, in maybe 90 cities or so are refusing to pay their mortgages depending on how you follow on social media like the spreading movement of people saying, you know, because basically they haven't received their prepaid apartments. That is just unprecedented. Like that is the financial equivalent of blood in the streets, I think. And it, it's, it's just astonishing because it indicates how much faith ordinary Chinese people are losing in this industry. It's also important to note that this is not by accident. The government does not like the fact that as in other countries, real estate in China is a source of systemic risk. And it is particularly so in China, given that some people estimate that like 70% of Chinese people's financial assets are stored in real estate in some form. You know, it's become the collateral behind corporate loans. It gets stuffed into wealth management products um, because it's been this one way, seen as this one way riskless investment. You know, even these small downturns always get, you know, picked up and fixed by the government. Like there's tons of speculative energy put into it. And um, that has included this pre-sales mechanism, right? So the, the the government trying to cool off speculation has made it harder for, for these real estate companies to borrow money to build fresh property developments, right? Um, and that pushed them even more to sell properties in advance because basically they borrowed from their customers. And this also made the government uncomfortable. And that's kind of what's blowing it up. But, um, you know, what they're going to do at this point is, is going to be quite complicated. You know, between a quarter and a third of GDP, you've got the economy slowing down. You know, you've got these suppliers, these construction industries, these, these, this, all these companies that made money off of building houses, off of renting them, off of selling them, are now just kind of like twiddling their thumbs. Um, it's this huge mess. And, uh, and the government, once again, you know, appears that it might have bit off a bit more that it can chew in terms of trying to tame this sector that really needed to be brought under control, but they did it you know, right in the middle, like, like, like the external factors are not very cooperative, you know, with the war in Ukraine, with oil prices, you know, with these other, other things that are going south in the Chinese economy. And so, so what's happening is just, is just incredibly risky and we don't know how it's going to work out just yet. And so what exactly happened that sort of led to the situation? So is, is it, my understanding basically, is it that the, 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 uh, companies that were building these apartments and houses. So they, as you say, Yaman, leveraged up, got themselves into a situation where they were about to start building and 
then they've all these more they've all these customers who have bought the houses they either got mortgages or just paid for it up front and then what is it they ran out of money a lot of these did a lot of these companies just kind of run out of money and weren't able to start building and then the mortgage customers i guess stopped paying is that sort of the cycle that's that's that we're seeing at the moment yeah yeah um so what really ignited this this round of uh, you know mortgage boycott started in late june when uh home buyers of a project in a province apparently they have waited in vain for many months and they just sent out this petition to the banks and put it on the internet saying look you know our banks have to do something to pressure the developers otherwise we're going to stop paying mortgages because we're not getting the apartments and that quickly was spread it to other cities you know when people see those petitions spreading and they're like yeah that applies to my situation and it just shows that the frustration of how the even though the government has said many times that they're they're forcing the developers to focus on de uh, delivering departments uh, to focus on construction with the existing funds they have under the regulatory crackdown the the, the progress has been really slow you know per chinese consultancy e-house i think of the 300 projects we're seeing that's be on the petition now most of the home buyers protesting haven't received their apartments for like as long as 16 months. So basically we're seeing people who bought in like 2017, 2018, 2019, who haven't really got delivered as, as promised. And now they're really finally revolting when the property market is slowing down. Keeping in mind that the bond, the bond market, the stress first showed up in the offshore bond market, I think, because China was trying to force these companies to stop borrowing so much money, you know, the ones that were most kind of overextended started defaulting on their bonds. So you first had, you know, companies like Evergrande and, and these other giant monstrous companies just owed huge amounts of money. And, and the first thing they did was kind of put pressure on their dollar bondholders. But, you know, they had this, this limited amount of money they could move around. You know, they had these pre-sale funds and they used them to deal with, put out the fires that were burning the hottest, right? Well, so that money is gone and these people have paid for the houses and they don't have houses and the developers don't have the money to build them. And the governments, you know, really don't know exactly how you do this because like the the, the thing that Beijing really doesn't want is to reward moral, create moral hazard, kind of reward speculations by bailing everybody out because then you just go back to where you were before and your whole push to clean up the industry is a joke. But it's not clear. The, the, the biggest problem is that the house prices are still falling. So it's not just like some projects are, are frozen and they, if you build those, then you've solved the problem because fresh projects could be getting put on pause all the time as developers are, look at the situation like, well, we're not going to be able to sell these things. You know, why are we going to put more money into building this thing when, uh, you know, the whole market is in correction? Um, so there's there's a risk of this vicious cycle getting set off as people just become wary of buying houses, period or regret that they they bought these pre-sold things and, and would rather walk away from their mortgages anyways, which is something that happens. And, and that's that's kind of the mess they face. I think that element of the sort of protest, I think is sort of an interesting element and something that I guess you don't normally associate with China, right? Is that the people are in a way sort of revolting, right? As in they're not they're not paying, they're not paying for these properties. They're Either the mortgages are, you know, and all of that leads to impairments on the bank's balance sheets if they're going to actually acknowledge that these things that these things are not working out. Is there any sense of a sort of crackdown from Beijing on the people who aren't paying these mortgages? Are they expecting this them to be forced to pay them or who? Well, there's a mechanism. 
there's a mechanism for punishing people who don't pay their mortgages. You know, you there's the, the government. It's not like nobody ever does this. And if you do it, there's a legal mechanism where, you know, your kids can't go to good schools and you get put on this kind of blacklist and, you know, it, you can lose your job. Um, you know, there's more extreme things, but like deploying that is quite risky if you're trying to rebuild confidence, you know, in the market. I'll, I'll let Yawen chime in, but um, yeah, but yeah I mean, sure the thing about, is that everybody, like, everybody kids wants to go to good school, but yeah, there is like a score, like a credit credit worthiness social rating system where basically if you are put on that list for not paying your debts, you don't you cannot check into like a luxury hotel or get, you know, get a ride on the high speed rail or take a flight. So it's quite a serious risk, I think, for Chinese people. Uh, yeah, it's it's not all it's not your kids can't go to school. You can't go to some schools. <laughs> like, like the social credit thing will have but it's of among the mooted punishments or, uh, you know, like unable to take high end forms of transit and stuff. But anyways, uh, the point is that that's kind of off the whatever, whatever mean things they want to do is, isn't going to work if they're kind of try and reassure people and keep them buying houses. This is something that we have seen. We did see in the US a bit, didn't we, in the last financial crisis when the house prices started tanking and people were totally over leveraged. You did start to see people in America as well just stop paying their mortgages. So it is it is the sort of historic sign of stress right in a in an economy. And I would imagine not something that that China is is keen to acknowledge. And that's something I, I kind of wonder where where does China go from here? Because the, are the banks going to acknowledge this? Are they going to actually put out some numbers and explain the impairments on their balance sheet? And that will actually probably explain the situation fully or. First of all, I think um, your comparison about, you know, what happened in the US and what happened in China is quite interesting because usually the banks would think mortgages are very safe because the down payment in China is really high compared to maybe 10%, 5% in the West. It's as high as 60% in the in the latest crackdown uh, because China really wanted to rein in people putting all their money into property. But the problem with that is also that for one, a lot of down payments are also financed through other forms of shadow credit as well. So it's, it's also leverage. It, it might not truly reflect the real extent of safetyness that banks are claiming right now. And the other thing is that I think I think that if, if there's any subprime, like if there's any comparison we can make here is that the developers this round are like the home buyers in the West. They leverage themselves up and it's, it's very hard to really have a real scope of like what is their real leverage at the moment because they've borrowing all kinds of forms and and now they're not able to deliver the the the, the construction the products that they're supposed to deliver and they cannot pay back bank loans the bond holders so I think that that is the risk that is spilling over to the mortgages front so in that sense yes if if more if, if the buyers uh, who have the actual contract with the banks to to pay those mortgages decide that we even though they knew that there was all this down payment protection and stuff, but we can't pay because you can't construct everything, then it's comparable to the crisis, right? Like in the West, because it's like, oh, it's all these people that we didn't think are subprime borrowers that, that could turn out to be just because of this specific situation related to pre-sale in China. I mean, it's, it's important to note that everybody wants the houses built. I mean, for the most part. The easiest solution is to finish the construction because then you have an asset. The banks want it. The buyers want it. I mean, 
they don't want to just lose their down payments. I mean, as Yawan pointed out, they put up a fair amount of money in most cases. And in some cases, they may have borrowed from the shadow bank market to make up that down payment. So they can't do anything with a non-existent building. Um, but the question is, and I mean, Yawan can talk about this as well, is like, who is going to end up owning these buildings? Technically, the the developers already got paid for them, right? So they got the more, they sold them and they have the money. So if somebody comes up with money to build something that was like, you know, refinance it, where does the ownership end up? You know, the local governments, they, they, the, the interesting thing is that like this was been stewing since last year. And I think a lot of people might have looked at it first and thought, well, China's going to wave this magic financial wand like it has and just get all the banks together and local governments, the property developers, and they'll solve it. And they haven't because, you know, because of this kind of struggle, even between regions. I mean, so like a lot of local governments are like, OK, well, the developers have to put their money in escrow and your money, this escrow money can only be used to finish your local projects. You know, you have to finish you have to finish the buildings in my town because I don't want all these people going and yelling at me in the street because they don't have stuff. But like as they started carving this, the, there wasn't enough money to go around. So it resulted in this kind of like war between localities of like who is going to hold up the, the real estate developers money for what um, and where. So the, the central government has just not stepped in yet. In it's, a also, big way. it's also it's yeah, also go ahead. You know, how, how are they yeah. going to fix it? I was just going to add that I think this this movement really ignites this vicious cycle, right? Like like you said, the developers need the funds in escrow to to finish construction. But where does all this fund come from? They have to come from new sales. But right now, the confidence is really just hammered to the bottom with all this, you know, negative headlines. Um, so nobody's going to, I think a lot of people are really hold, withholding and, uh, you know, adopting a wait and see attitude. So if sales starts to fall even deeper, I think it's it's just really hard to see, you know, developers getting extra funds for construction at this stage. In the background is in the background is President Xi Jinping. Let's not forget about the politics of this, right? So it, it, this this is not just like some mistake made by financial technocrats. The the president of the country came out and said, you know, houses are for living in, not speculation. And that was the signal for everybody of like, we're going to have a rational property market. We're going to have more rentals. We're not just going to have everybody levering themselves to their eyeballs, you know, to buy a house. Um, you have to keep in mind that like the housing availability, affordability for ordinary Chinese people in these major cities was just decades of your, your lifetime average salary. Um, it made it hard for family formation since in traditional Chinese culture, you can't get married until you own a house. So President Xi Jinping put his 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 imprint on this policy and it is not going very well but like one of the reasons they might be struggling to deal with it is because there is it's going to be incredibly difficult to do this without you know without surrendering some to, on the campaign to delever de the sector i mean somebody is going to get made whole here who probably shouldn't be and yeah, no easy answers. It doesn't sound like for the for the Chinese property market. Well, listen, Yawen, uh, Pete, thank you so much for your time. A fantastic explainer into the Chinese property market. So hopefully, um, talk to you soon. Thanks, Amy. Thanks, Amy. Great. Thanks, guys. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast was produced by Oliver Tatlich in London. Subscribe to the Views Room and our sister podcast, The Exchange, on a cast, megaphone, or wherever you like to listen. Check out our latest views on these stories and many others at breakingviews.com and on Twitter, where our handle is at breakingviews.